Hello again, everybody, and welcome into another edition of Political Beats, a presentation of National Review. You can find us on Twitter at political underscore beats. We ask you to subscribe, if you would, to our feed. Get those new episodes delivered right to you. Do it through iTunes, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, TuneIn, or you can go right to nationalreview.com. Click on podcast. You'll find all the fine NR podcasts, including back episodes of Political Beats and new episodes, too. Listen, share, leave reviews, if you would. My name is Scott Bertram. You can find me on Twitter at Scott Bertram. My tag team partner standing by, as always, sometimes sitting, Jeff Blair. Jeff, how are you? I don't know, Scott. I wouldn't get too comfortable. I'm I'm pretty sure I'm going to uh, quit the podcast before we're done recording it. <laughs> Certainly before it's released, right? I mean, that's yes, yes. Uh, find Jeff on Twitter at Esoteric CD, and our guest for this episode of Political Beats is political reporter. You can find him on Twitter at Ben C Jacobs, and appropriately enough, his name is Ben Jacobs. Ben, thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me. So before we get into uh, our, our band today, our artist today, we first like to find out a little bit more about our guests. So we turn the tables, not turn the tables, that would be rude, uh, turn the floor over to you, Ben. Tell us a bit about yourself and how you uh, got into this uh, political ecosystem, as we call it. I couldn't find honest work, so I, be- I, I got into journalism. <laughs> we hear that occasionally. <laughs> it was, it was uh, you know, I could have ended up, I could have ended up being a lawyer like, like Jeff, but... Uh... No. Well, I, I'm just to say I'm scandalized by your complete lack of a British accent. Is all I'm saying. It's uh, I, I could let me let me go have a crumpet and a cup of tea, and I'll see if it'll come back for you. For people who don't know, Ben used to work for the Guardian, and like one of these kind of like long running jokes on Twitter is that people would say like when he do political reporting, they'd be like, "What do you know about America, you silly Brit?" Meanwhile, Ben's from Baltimore. So- <laughs> And uh, and talking to us today, Ben is uh, about uh, an artist that uh, I hold dear, and, and Jeff, and certainly Ben does. Uh, he is a, a singer, songwriter, a guitarist, pianist. He's uh, nearly a member of the Twenty Seven Club, but uh, died at the age of twenty six. Instead, uh, created in his mind his own form of music, which we'll talk about, called Cosmic American Music. His real name, Ingram Cecil. Connor the third. Yes, I had to look that up. It's Graham Parsons and also the Flying Burrito Brothers and all the incarnations of Graham Parsons. Ben, again to you, tell us why you love Graham Parsons, how you sort of got into him, and, and why other people should care about the music. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm trying to think how I got into Graham Parsons. I, I think my best guess is, I think potentially through through my younger brother that we, we used to sort of trade music and go back and forth. And I think he may have found ground first. And I'm not, not 100%, uh, not 100% sure. Uh, but you know, there's, I think I'm, I'm literally trying to guess in terms of what, what the, uh, what the takeoff may have been. And it may have also been in the, uh, early ages, early ages of music, uh, which, uh, which I think older millennials remember when it's just about, going through Napster, Kazan, sort of finding things and finding the people who would stay online for you to download stuff off of 28.8. And uh, that's through hopping and jumping and skipping through that. But some combination thereof. I can't, you know, I wish I could say there was a defining moment where it sort of all all came down down, uh, down on high. But uh, sometime in, uh, in the teens in high school. 
So I guess my question is, since I discovered Parsons through the birds, uh, through, uh, of course, Sweetheart of the Rodeo, and uh, I'll get to that in a second. I had my mind blown. But what I want you to tell us, sell us on this for people who aren't aware of who this guy is, because he, he died when he was 26. His discography, even with all the various bands he was involved with, is pretty small. Why should people care? I mean, I think he's, he's in a lot of ways, one of the more sort of important American artists of, of the second half of the 20th century in terms of what he's meant, not just to country music, but in terms of, you know, his own self-created genre of cosmic American music, uh, not just as, as a songwriter and sort of one of the few people to really sort of take, you know, sort of to take the Dylan self songwriting applied to more sort of country country type music, but in terms of the influence that he's had on just about everything, everything there are both for good and and in the case of the eagles potentially for evil <laughs> yes yeah, i knew we weren't getting out of this episode without mentioning the eagles well there's yes. an eagle that played in the band we were unable no way we would get away with not mentioning that well, I mean, yeah bernie, bernie Leaven was you know in, in the flying burrito brothers yeah. yeah 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 so i guess we got to blame him for that hey scott i want you to go first yeah. actually i have a long hot take <laughs> okay um so i uh, Graham, very. It's it's a simple story, but it's also it also means a lot to me because Graham Parsons, much like if you've read uh, Elvis Costello's book, and uh, we just talked about it during his episode a few weeks ago, Elvis Costello also had his doors opened very wide by Graham Parsons and and Sweetheart of the Rodeo, and that's essentially my story. Look, growing up, I would I. Growing up, I was the, you know, the every kind of music but country um, and, and rap, I suppose. But I, I didn't give country a, a second thought uh, when I when I was in my, uh, you know, uh, you know, eight, nine, 10, 11, 12 years old and, and starting in my classic rock phase. And um, the first time I heard about Graham Parsons was I was a freshman in college and I had a buddy, Zach Peterson. And I think I've mentioned him before because Zach gave me a lot of albums that opened my ears and eyes to things that were not necessarily, quote unquote, popular or on the radio. He gave me, you know, the, the Love album, uh, gave me Big Star. And at one point he gave me Sweetheart of the Rodeo from the Birds. Got to hear this. So I did. And yes, um, you know, I took Graham Parsons' mission to heart, which was, you know, to sort of make country cool or at least... Do it in a way that it, it, he wasn't making fun of it. He wasn't turning it upside down. He was, he was, you know, um, he was a, he was subject to it, right? He was a, he was a part of country. He loved Merle Haggard and George Jones and all those guys, and so Sweetheart of the Rodeo, I, I just loved. Um, and then the Black Crows, of course, one of my other favorite bands, uh, would choose very interesting covers to do on tour. And during 96 and 97, when I was getting a bunch of those shows, uh, you know, you trade the shows because they were taper friendly, song that kept popping up on these set lists was Hot Burrito Number 2, which, of course, was from the Flying Burrito Brothers' first album. And so then I started digging into the Flying Burrito Brothers and got that uh, that, that uh, the compilation, you get, you know, both albums on two CDs with some bonus tracks, and was taken by the very first song, Christine's tune from Gilbert Palace of Sin.
really take it in and for the rest of that album. And from there, of course, a very short step to his solo work and uh, the two albums on one CD of uh, GP and, and Grievous Angel. And, you know, each of those portions of his career, uh, the, 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 the Birds, the Burrito Brothers, and Graham Parsons, I, I think you can you can point to some things that, that are very specific to each of those portions of his career. And uh, in the last part, you know, was was probably the most pure, you know, country honky tonk of, of all of it. And and I really enjoyed especially GP. Uh, that one really has always stuck very close to me. And so from there, then then the doors are open to, you know, when I was in college and this was all happening, the alt country movement was very strong and Uncle Tupelo in the old 97s and Jayhawks and bands like that who owed a large debt uh, to Graham Parsons. And I, I love those guys, too. So in a very real way. Uh, Graham Parsons, uh, the Birds, the Flying Burrito Brothers opened up a, an entirely new wing of music and one that I still very much love to this day. Graham Parsons for me is one of the most complicated and mysterious and, and kind of infuriating figures in all of popular rock history. You can look at him in so many different ways. I think that's probably one of the reasons why he retains a mystique even to this day. But you can look at him in negative ways, too. I mean, I, I, I was thinking to myself about this. Is like, You know what one way to characterize Graham Parsons is? Is as a human tornado. That he, he, he came into every situation that he, he came into, he, he left disaster in his wake until he actually killed himself uh, through over drinking and drugging heroin. Um, but, you know, this is a man who was was flighty. Let's think about let's start with the negatives. You know, what he, he, he joins, starts a band. He leaves it immediately right before their <laughs> album is about to be released because yeah. the birds made him a better offer. And so he's joining the birds. Then he turns around the birds, completely alters their sound forces them down a completely different path than anything they had ever done. And then he quits before the album's even released. Why? Because he wants to hang out with the Rolling Stones and shoot smack with Keith Richards. Then he joins the Flying Burrito Brothers. They make a seminal album. Then what does he do? He starts drinking and drugging and he leaves them and they eventually collapse too. Then what does he do? He starts doing his own solo work. It's brilliant, but he can't maintain anything. They go out on the road and it's just a rickety mess because he's not serious about his responsibilities and then eventually he dies he dies of of you know a drug overdose and you know actually one of the stories i don't want to tell on this is is uh the funeral of graham parsons it's uh, look it up on wikipedia folks it's kind of a crazy story uh it seems like his insanity carried on after him <clears throat> so you can look at that guy and you can say well this is you know this is uh, a human tornado he leaves behind wreck and ruin in his path uh, but then you look at graham parsons the other way and, and you say that this is a man whose force of personality, whose nature, whose obvious love for what it was that he wanted to do was so convincing that he could persuade anybody to do it with him. He could walk into the birds, the birds. <laughs> this is not like walking into the turtles or like some small band. This is one of the greatest and most important rock and roll groups in the history of music. And he said, hey, you know what? Let's go to Nashville and record a country album. And they were like, Roger McGuinn was like, 
okay. And then he stole his other bandmate from him when he left. He took Chris <laughs> Hillman with him. Uh, then look at the way that he got you know the Burrito Brothers together to like you know with Hillman to like basically create a new subgenre of music that had been pioneered first on the flying on uh, on Sweetheart of the Rodeo. Look at the way that he, he was basically he he brought Amy Lou Harris you mm-hmm. know basically made her name and we'll talk about her contra- her contributions to those last two albums of his which are just stunning stuff he was a guy who everybody loved even as he was somebody who would probably be like the one bandmate you would never wanted to rely upon if there was one guy that you could say he's not going to make the gig he's going to quit on us in the middle of a tour <laughs> he's going to be the guy who like he's going to duck out going to invent some excuse like you know like the way he left the birds is classic like you know he said like oh, i don't want to tour south africa but really he just wanted to hang out in england with the stones you know like this is a guy who was a flake and a genius all at once and and again, all these these wonderful contradictions about Parsons, you would think like, you know, what's the standard rock story? You know, you have either you know, art school kids, you know, in England at least, or you have like you know, hard scrabble guys working their way up from the bottom, you know, like, you know, sons and daughters of poor dirt farmers, especially with country music. Mm-hmm. Grant, Grant Parsons was the son of a citrus magnate. Rich as all get out. Had it like, you know, uh, back in those days when $50,000 was real money, he had $50,000 every year in his trust fund. He could just withdraw and take it. He went to Harvard University to study theology. He didn't even get into country music until he went to Harvard, even though he grew up in the South, which is just another one of those hilarious <laughs> ironies. Like, you know, you're gonna, you're in, in the, uh, you know, the, the gut bucket honky tonk streets of Cambridge, Massachusetts, that's when you finally discover, you know, George Jones. Yeah, that's what happened with Graham Parsons. And and none of that mattered because the feeling and the spirit that he brought to it, the absolute devotion to his one true goal, which is to say the country music isn't for squares. It isn't for, you know, your old man. It's not just some, uh, you know – some music that 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 you know is you know the music i'm thinking of like all the cultural wars of the 60s mm-hmm. you know like you know even the birds had to deal with this when they took their country moves you know they thought like oh these these hippie long hairs graham parsons was a hippie long hair he was a drug addict he was a flake but he understood and loved country music deep down in his bones and he made it real and he made it soulful and he actually did succeed in his 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 one true goal which is to create as he said cosmic american music which is what makes him so weird so singular and i guess uh you know to this day probably one of the most fascinating figures in all of music and yeah you know you you have to factor in that early death into it you know what could he what could he have done if he had somehow cleaned up how many more bands could he create and then leave yeah, maybe, maybe, maybe he, maybe he was tapped out. It's hard to think so after you listen to his last album because his last album is amazing. But who knows? Who knows what will happen? It will always be one of the great question marks of rock and roll music, and uh, and that's why I, I really enjoy talking about him, and I'm really looking forward to this show. Was a thousand dollars. Supposed to be held the other day, and with all the invitations sent, the young bride went away. 
When the groom saw people passing notes, not unusual, he might say, but where the flowers for my baby, I'd even like to see her mean old mama, and why? gonna act that way well we have to start uh of course before the birds because graham parsons his first band that uh, that was put together uh, the international submarine band um with one album to its name that came out in uh, as, as he was 21 years old and um also, a few future bandmates, a co-writer in Bob Buchanan was in the band, who would write Hickory Wind later. Chris Etheridge, who he would play with off and on the rest of his career, played bass in this band. And this is, a, again, an, an album that was released after Graham Parsons had already left the International Submarine Band. What do you guys think about uh, this first one, Safe at Home? I mean, I think it's pretty good. I think a lot of people always talk, okay, you set the stage here, right? Where is country? Where is rock in 1967? Well, we know where rock is. If you've been listening to this show, we've covered enough rock music for you to have a general sense of what was going on in 1967. The Beatles, the Stones, the Who, you know, all of the psychedelia, all of the, uh, and then, of course, you have the teeny bopper pop. But what wasn't in the picture was country music. In fact, like even like a lot of the major record labels were scaling back their promotion of country because they thought mm-hmm. like, well, you know, the future doesn't lie with this. The future lies with the kids, the teeners. And uh, so like it was all like, you know, fuzz tone guitar and uh, swirling psychedelic, you know, loop-de-loops, uh, you know, like uh, thinking like just imagine being for the benefit of Mr. Kite placed on an eternal repeat for the rest of your life. That's a pretty good representation of hell for me at least. Um, <laughs> and – Meanwhile, there were people, particularly in the American Southwest, which is funny, in Los Angeles, who uh, were a little bit more rebellious and, and came from a different tradition and actually still wanted to incorporate this music, which they truly loved and they thought was valid. You know, ironically enough, we, this is an episode we did a very long time ago in the show's history. One of those groups was the Monkees, of all I, people. Yes, yes. Yeah, the Monkees. Monkees with Mike Nesmith, who was a country rocker at heart, and in his solo career, he would, of course, go on to do that, become one of those guys who was one of the early formative members of the whole country rock movement. You know, he, he, was, he was putting country songs into their first album in mm-hmm. 1966, and, of course, in early 67, with What Am I Doing Hanging Around, you've got, like, you know, straight up, you know, you've got you've, – you've got, you know, banjos and you've got you've got a very country aspect and a very country approach which was commercially successful too uh so that's the world that the international submarine band which is graham parsons first band comes into um this is an album that is more country than rock and it's a really good really fun album but it is you know as i've I used this analogy in the past to me this is like your high school graduation photograph era like you know it, it's a good record it's a fun record there's nothing about it uh that's embarrassing but there's also nothing about it that's particularly revolutionary it isn't it isn't what was going to happen next and i, I think that 
you know, he, you can see his feel for the greats. You know, he covers Merle Haggard yep. here. He covers, uh, you know, he does Satisfied Mind, which hilarious, like, was a you know, song that the Birds did on their second album. He does Folsom Prison Blues. You know, and he, he, he Johnny Cash, he does, uh, he, he does one uh, original song that really does still stand out, which is a little thing called Luxury Liner. Um, and I, I do like that song. And there's nothing about this one that's going to offend you, but I think people sometimes treat it. Uh, as if it's a revolutionary record, uh, but it's not. The revolution was yet to come, in my opinion. Yeah, and you can sort of see that when you're looking at, you know, his initial version of "You Know How It Feels," you know how it uh -huh. feels, so, which feels like much more of a sketch than the one you get down the line. Exactly. exactly. And, it's also, and it's also when you mentioned the birds covering "Satisfied Mind" that it's sort of you can see the sound that sort of it merges what he had there with sort of some of the production value on. Turn, turn, turn on the birds. But you do, you do still get some of that that soul that Graham Parsons was always going to be bringing to his music. Like there's that line in Luxury Liner where he's like, "I've been, I've been a long lost soul for a long, long time." Uh, that, if you want to know, like in a nutshell, what is Graham Parsons about musically, lyrically? It's that sentiment. It's that sort of wandering you know, wandering soul through the world, maybe peripatetic, maybe never being able to stand still or stay in one place for a long time, um, which is, of course, the story of his career. But you, you do find those first hints of it right there. Yeah, no, it's certainly the one thing that sort of was interesting in terms of some of the songs he covered that Miller's Cave actually references, uh, references his hometown. I had a girl in Waycroft, Georgia. You know, when you're looking through some of the reasons why he's picking some of some of the covers, and that actually feels it's very much a well-done country song in a way that, you know, the Folsom Prison Blues cover just sort of leaves you, you know, the Folsom Prison Blues that's all right combination medley covers just sort of leaves you leaves you lacking. That as opposed to most of other songs when he's covering them, where it holds up better than the original, uh, those uh, that medley does not. Yeah. Yeah, I, I think that might be the weakest spot on the album. That medley, his voice isn't isn't yet where it would be in the next year or two. It doesn't quite have the uh, the gravitas to pull off a Folsom Prison Blues, or even I, I still miss someone. I think the two the two Cash songs or the two Cash covers that are that are that are on Safe at Home. I'm so glad Jeff you mentioned uh, the Monkees because I, no one can see this, of course, but it, it, it's right here in my notes. Uh, I, I I think there's a lot of Mike Nesmith. I don't know influence is is tough to say, I guess, because you know by this point Headquarters was out, so there are three Monkees albums out. And, and again, for people who are what the Monkees, yeah, go listen to the Political Beats Monkees episode when we talk so much about Mike Nesmith that has influence on on the country rock of the day. Luxury Liner specifically, I think, sounds a lot like Ma what yes. Mike Nesmith yeah. was doing at that time. I mean, a lot like what he was doing at the time. It's a very good song, but you can kind of hear that influence or at least the uh, uh, the blending of, of what was happening at that time on Luxury Liner. And I don't need a stranger to tell me that my baby's let me down.
real No one in this whole wide world can change the way I feel I've been a long lost soul is another one of the original uh, Parsons songs on this album and it's fine it's nice it's it's kind of simple uh, writing uh, compared to what would come um, you know the, as, as Jeff said the, the promise is there you, you, it's it's kind of embryonic there's nothing embarrassing here but nothing rises to what we'd see to come I think the best original yes is Luxury Liner but even that again kind of has echoes of other things that are happening at the time that that's not a kind of a pure Parsons track so to speak and in Blue Eyes is also still there's a little bit of you know sort of the dilettante parody edge to the lyrics that you know pretty girl will love me with the same last name as mine is something where it's still he's not a little bit detached from it um, in a way right. that doesn't hold up by the time you're hitting hitting sweetheart of the rodeo um, but there's but you can sort of see and see the lyrics there that he's still you know, thinking back to some of, you know, when the Stones are parodying country music at around the same time. Sometimes I get unwound when fancy cars drive past. Money don't get me down, but I can't make it last. I bite my nails, and if that fails, I go get myself stoned. But when I do, I think of you and head myself back home. Where I got chores to keep me busy, a clock to keep my time, a pretty girl to love me with the same last name as mine. And when the flowers wilt, a big old quilt to keep us warm, I've got the sun to see your blue eyes, and tonight you're in my arms. Right, like Dear Doctor or something like that, where they don't have yeah. the feel for it yet, but they're just they they, they want to try it, but they <clears throat> it isn't lived in in the same way that it would be later on. Which, of course, brings us to, I mean, one of the seminal albums in the history of popular music. One day, one day we'll we'll do a Birds episode, <laughs> folks. I promise you, I can't wait. They're one of my favorite bands of all time. But so that we'll take today, this part and just replay it, right? Yeah, exactly. We'll just take this part, clip it, and replay it, and like you know, somebody will be very surprised to see Ben Jacobs interrupting them in their show. Um, but uh, the story of the birds is one that we'll have to like recount on another day. They had already been through so many seismic changes, but this, of course, was the most seismic of them all. They had just fired David Crosby, well-known horse's ass, and uh, they had fired their drummer Michael Clark, who would be coming back into the Graham Parsons story a little bit later, ironically enough. And they they were searching around for a change of direction or for something to do. They only had two original members left. It was Roger McGuinn and Chris Hillman. And they ran into, I think they were introduced by their manager to uh, a young man who had just recorded an album with the International Submarine Band by the name of Graham Parsons. He's just like, you know, he was, he was a nobody at this point. This is the amazing thing about what happened to the birds and what Parsons did to the birds. This is what I meant when I said that you have to really take stock of the force of Graham Parsons' personality. Mm-hmm. That he was able 
to just walk in and almost like he was like Rasputin, like he could hypnotize you and like tell you like, you are now a country band. <laughs> you're, like, you're gonna do this. And it's not just that, Jeff, but you know, it's not like the birds were sort of flailing around. Roger McGuinn had a plan for this album, right? He right. wanted to be an, like, like overview of American pop music. So. So Parsons comes in at, at 21, 22, and not only gives them a, a, a new direction, sort of, but also is able to change McGuinn's mind about his own idea. Well, well I mean, the other, the other joke is, that, you know, the, the, the legend, at least, always, is that Parsons was hired uh, into the birds as their pianist. Yes. like Because, like, McGuinn wanted him to play, like, jazz piano, which he could not do. <laughs> but, but he pretended that he could, and then once he got in, <laughs> he was like, he pulled, he turned around, it's like, no, now we're going to do country music. Like we're going to Nashville, and McGuinn bought into it. Give so much credit to Roger McGuinn and Chris Hillman. They could have been looked at this kid, a 21-year-old kid with no profile. He comes into one of the most successful bands on the planet with a, with a, already a long and hallowed track history, you know. And he says, you know what? We're going to just change up everything. Now, it's not entirely true that the birds had eschewed country music up until that point. You can find hints of country stuff on almost every one of their albums, starting right from the beginning. You know, you, even on Notorious Bird Brothers, you've got stuff like, you know, Wasn't Born to Follow or, you know, that lilt, that gentle country lilt, uh, the, the waltzy uh, stuff on something like Get to You. Um, but what happens with Sweetheart of the Rodeo. I can't even imagine what people must have thought about this in 1968. I can only tell you what I thought about it in like 1996 when I first heard this. I'd just gone through all the Birds' first albums. You know, I bought Mr. Tambourine Man, Turn, 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 Fifth Dimension, Younger Than Yesterday, all those, all these great albums, very kind of psychedelic. They're going through these evolutionary changes, but there's still a continuity. And then all of a sudden, you hear the pedal steel guitar kick in on You Ain't Going Nowhere, on Sweetheart of the Rodeo. And there's just no way, as if you're listening to this, that you can't say, like, what the hell happened to this band? Flat so swift, rain won't lift, gate won't close, feelings froze. Get your mind off winter time. You ain't going nowhere don't sound like they used to they don't sound like the birds anymore and for me it was this is my first experience with parsons and it was a it was it was hard to adjust initially because i was not interested in country music at the time uh but now it's one of my favorite birds albums of all time and i think it's just such a magnificent ballsy gutsy bizarre almost willfully perverse thing to do and uh, you've got to give so much credit not only to the band but to parsons himself for like just taking their big shot and it, it wasn't immediately successful this is an album that is loved in retrospect but mm -hmm. it was not commercially that successful at the time but whoa what happened they basically invented a genre at least in the in the public mind and in the public eye all by themselves yeah though though i though just to jump in going to nashville i always feel like it's not it was a big change of pace and there's actually something getting to jeff what you said that there's a promo where it's people being shocked wait is this the birds no it's actually the birds as they're going through that 
but you know they're going to national time uh you know dylan had been through national and that you know when you're talking about sort of country rock or whatever the genre of music you know when you think about uh, later gene clark stuff that doesn't sound all that uh all that out of the ordinary that there's sort of there's some ties there so it's not quite totally out of left field but it is yeah, I mean, like dylan had recorded in nashville he did blonde and blonde uh you know in nashville for yeah. example Not too Right. So like, you know, but 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 this was just sonically so different. This is I think what, what shocked me when I was told, OK, Sweetheart of the Rodeo, get ready. That's their country rock album. It was way more country than it was rock. Uh, that was the shock. Like this was like old. There are some slick songs on Sweetheart. They're the ones that are actually sung by McGuinn, They're the Dylan covers that open and close the record. You ain't going nowhere. Nothing was delivered. Great songs, but maybe not part of the Parsons story, really. Mm-hmm. Uh, but there's so much other stuff here that is just kind of like gut bucket, country, rural soul. Chris Hillman does that second song, I Am a Pilgrim, yeah. which has you know the fiddle on it. And he's singing about, I'm a pilgrim in this life. I'm going to pass over to the next life. I'm going to see my mom and my sister and my dad and when I die. And, you know, it's, it's like completely sincere, completely moving. I've got a mother, sister and a brother who have gone this way before. I am the eternal. And, and then you know you get you get Parsons, and by the way, the controversy about Sweetheart that needs to be mentioned is that Parsons actually sang lead on I think like six of the songs, which is again this is the new kid, twenty one <laughs> years old. They give him lead on the majority of the tracks, uh, but because there were angry um, like lawsuits from his original from the International Submarine Band's uh, label owner, uh, they had to remove his tracks from like three of them. But like you hear his version of singing the Christian life. Now, now Graham Parsons did not live the Christian life. All right, this is a guy who was like did a lot of drugs, he did a lot of booze. But when he sings about you know you know my buddy shunned me when I turned to Jesus, there is not a trace of irony in his voice. No, it, but it's got. To, I mean, it's the Parsons vocal. I think McGuinn's vocal take, which is on the album, is 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 is, is inferior clearly because he, he he sort of sounds. Uh, a bit campy uh, McGuinn doesn't do in a Christian life Parsons is, is straight it's a straight take my buddies shun me since I turned to Jesus they say I'm missing a whole world of fun I'll live without them and walk in the light I like the Christian Others find 
pleasure in things I despise. I like the Christian life. I like the Christian life. Perfect, and it's it's ironic because later, you know, McGlynn did find Jesus. Right, that's the funny <laughs> thing. And actually, the that actually, I mean, again, this is a story for another episode. But the, the the funny thing about the birds is that you know this altered the trajectory of their career. So that like the the, the all the albums for the rest of their career are going to have this very country fried aesthetic to them. Um, McGlynn really like embraced it and dove deep into it but like right here on this first one yeah there's something there's 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 still a little ironic distance like when he does pretty boy floyd meanwhile when you hear um parsons singing you're still on my mind and that may be one of my five favorite songs at the end of this episode it's a cover yeah. i mean it's like a straight up you know gut bucket honky tonk song an empty bottle a broken heart and you're still on my mind you're like i'm i'm deep in my cups and i'm lamenting the loss of love and but man, the way Graham sings that, it just kills. The jukebox is playing a honky-tonk song. One more I keep saying, and then I'll go home. What good will it do me? I know what I'll find. An empty bottle, a broken heart, and you're still And the one thing that blew my mind, which is sort of gets to a politics thing about uh, You're Still On My Mind, which I found out during this, is that the guy who wrote it is the grandfather of Chris McDaniel of Mississippi Republican fame. Are you serious? I had, I had Luke McDaniel. I know who wrote it, but I had no idea that there was a relationship there. It's, it's the type of thing. It's the type of connections, you know, how you get from uh, four steps from Grand Parsons to Thad Cochran. <laughs> yeah, this is, yeah, this is like six degrees of Graham Parsons going on here. Wow, um, so I, this album again is amazing, and and again, when we do a birds episode, we're going to have to cover it in in even greater depth. But I guess I think what we should do is like focus on the stuff that that Graham sings, even on the outtake versions, because he contributes two songs. He gets six vocals if you have the alternates. Uh, he dominates this record, and of course, he brought them the sound. You know, I mean, it, it gets the one that that most people talk about is Hickory Wind, which is him. He wrote it with Bob Buchanan, guy from the International Submarine Band, um, and this is him basically remembering his childhood. A lot of people sort of think of it as the signature Graham Parsons song. I'm, I'm a contrarian. I, I'll, I'll say that I actually prefer him singing drunken ballads, like "You're Still on My Mind" a little bit more. But everyone else loves that. No, I mean, I think Hickory Wind is something he repeats again that really is sort of one of, you know, when it comes up in, in Grievous Angel of the medley in northern Quebec, um, that, that he does that there. And it's sort of very much sort of the southern, southern fried uh, reminiscent in a way that mm -hmm. uh, works really well. All the riches and pleasure Hickory 
one that has not been mentioned yet is You Don't Miss Your Water, which might mm-hmm. be my favorite song on Sweetheart of the Rodeo. It's, again, one where it's McGuinn's vocals on the album, but it's one where he stripped Parsons off, and you can actually hear Parsons in places uh, on the album version, and, and, and the alternate take is available where you hear him working through You Don't Miss Your Water. What a great fusion of country and soul, which, again, was getting closer to, I think, what Parsons had in mind when he was talking about this cosmic American music. But wonderful, you know, classic Birds-esque harmonies on You Don't Miss Your Water. Um, that, that piano break with the steel guitar is just wonderful. And that honky-tonk piano throughout uh, You Don't Miss Your Water is probably my favorite song on Sweetheart uh, of the Rodeo. You know, 100 years from now, later on, again, is uh, is is an up-tempo number. Great pedal steel. Lloyd Green played a lot of pedal steel on Sweetheart of the Rodeo. And I guess that's also one of the friction points between Parsons and McGuinn is that Parsons was pushing to, to hire a full-time pedal steel player for the birds because, you know, why not? He got his way on everything else. And that, that that's for some reason where McGuinn would draw the line. No, we're not hiring a full-time pedal steel player in the birds. Um, but the, you know, pedal steel. Of course, is, and then they hired Clarence White, who right. basically did the same thing. With, whatever, <laughs> whatever. You know. Yeah. Again, sorry for another show. <laughs> but but you hear that a lot on uh, 100 Years from Now. The, the the real beauty of Lloyd Green Lloyd Green's pedal steel on 100 Years from Now. You, you guys have, have really covered the other ones I love. I, I really like the Christian Life, uh, with uh, especially with Parsons vocals on it. You're still on my mind is a beautiful song, and again, it's an entry point for me and and probably for a lot of other. Uh, you know, country fans, Sweetheart of the Rodeo is where it all started. Yeah, and I think the one thing that sort of, sort of struck me thinking about Sweetheart of the Rodeo is that the country they're covering is not just sort of recent country. There's life in prison. There's the right. sorts of Tiger covered. But in terms of the Leuven brothers... There's, there's, there's the Blue Canadian Rockies. <laughs> it's like a Gene Autry, which is, you know, the Gene Autry version is just very much a Gene Autry, Cowboy Western stuff going back to traditional stuff and then obviously when you go through the stuff that's left off you're getting to murder ballads like pretty poly that it's sort of very much a far more traditional sort of form of uh music that you know the country there that they're doing is not just you know the type of stuff you'd hear at the grand old opry it's you know the type of you know some of these songs you know predate jimmy rogers and the carter family that you're going back to going back to woody guthrie going back to stuff that's in sort of an entirely you know way further up the family tree it's you know to use i think grail marcus's line this is old weird america yeah. you know this is the stuff the same kind of taproot that the band was digging into or that bob dylan was digging into and uh, you know you kind of expect it from them dylan's a folky the bands you know obviously you know their story we've told already on the show but the birds 
kind of like these L.A. long hair hippies come out of nowhere. And the thing is that, again, Parsons, we think of Parsons as like this country rock. But the guy, the guy went, he was like a Harvard trust fund kid. <laughs> it's like hilarious that, you know, this is the guy. And yet he did it. And then he did another thing that Graham Parsons always does, which is that he booked out of the band that he had absolutely altered and changed. Before the album's even out. Before the album's even out, the Birds made the critical mistake of going to England. Never go to England if you are the Birds, because what happens? Well, Eugene Clark quits because of Eight Miles High, that whole story there. And then, of course, Graham Parsons does, because what does he do? He meets the Rolling Stones. And uh, <clears throat> the story, the nominal story that was always told is that, like, you know, that the Birds had we're scheduled to play in South Africa. And, you know, Parsons is like, well, no, apartheid. I'm, I'm not going to play because I, I disapprove of those policies. And I think what everybody kind of at this point believes to be the truth is that he just was intoxicated by hanging out with Keith Richards mm -hmm. and spinning countrysides with him and like working on alternate tunings and, you know, hearing early acetates of wild horses. And so he just said, fine, forget it. I'm done. I'm quitting. And he left them high and dry. And then he went on to his own thing. And what is his own thing? Well, his own thing involved him also stealing away the other key member of the Birds, <laughs> which was their bassist, Chris Hellman. Um, bassist, vocalist, songwriter at that point. He had been writing incredible songs for the Birds. Um, and he quit the band because, again, as I said, Parsons is just like he's a Rasputin man. He could just hypnotize people with the force of his, his, you know, his vision. And um, they start a new band. And what is the idea of this band? Well, it's going to be country rock, but not just country and not just rock, but country and rock and soul. And we are going to really combine them all in a completely unapologetic and weird and bracing way. And the name of that band is called the Flying Burrito Brothers. So it's Parsons, it's Hillman, it's Chris Etheridge on bass guitar, probably hugely underrated bass guitar, I might point out. Yep. Um, and uh, they get this weirdo. God bless this weirdo guy named Sneaky Pete Kleinow, who is their pedal steel guitar player. Remember how Graham was demanding that the birds hire a pedal steel guitar player? Well, the burritos got one. And I got Sneaky Pete and they and you know Hillman and Parsons just spent a week writing songs together, going to the studio, and they record um, what I consider to just be an absolute landmark of modern music, which is the Gilded Palace of Sin. And I really do think that this is, uh, playing my hand a bit, the high watermark. I, I think Gilded Palace of Sin, uh, front to back, is even better than the Parsons solo albums, which are also outstanding. But the way this album comes together with Hillman's contributions, and especially Sneaky Pete, as you mentioned, he is everywhere on Gilded Palace of Sin and provides some of the just very best moments, the way that pedal steel is playing in between verses or adding those those country licks, a very unique style of even playing pedal steel from Sneaky Pete. But uh, Gilded Palace of Sin kicks off with Christine's tune. And again, as I mentioned, the first time I had this album that, you know, put it on track one, side one, Christine's tune took me in immediately. Even if it is a sped up version of the original, there's a couple tracks on Gilded Palace of Sin where the, the final version is just a sped up version of what they what they did. They sped, right. sped the tight tape up, so they sound a little chipmunky in parts. But Christine's tune is great. It starts, it opens with the chorus, which is a, which is a great move on this song. It's She's a, a devil chorus. in disguise. You can see it in her eyes. She's telling dirty lies. Um, and boy, oh boy, there's so many great parts of this song from that, that overdriven pedal seal that pops in about a minute in. Um, 
I was playing with it a bit today. You know, the, the vocals are on split channels. So if you, uh, you know, I was I was panning left to right to hear Hillman in one ear and Parsons in the other ear. Uh, just really great vocals, the way those harmonies come together. And uh, man, I think there's only what, three chords, but but it never sounds repetitive. It's just a brilliantly constructed song too. And I love that final verse. You know, her number always turns up in your pocket whenever you're looking for a dime. It's all right to call her, but I'll bet you the moon is full and you're just wasting time. Uh, Christine's tune is fantastic. And then the follow-up. And, and it was, it was written about the girl who's on the cover of Frank Zappa's Hot Rats, just so y'all know. If you're, <laughs> if you're familiar with that album, Christine Furka. I think she was like a groupie in the L.A. scene, and that's who Christine is. And then Sin City, the very next tune, is, is, is more of a Hillman song. He wrote a majority, and I think the story is he had to wake up Graham Parsons to, to have him help him finish off. But I love Sin City, this tune about, well, Vegas, of course. A gospel feel thrown in, a country waltz. Uh, type song, uh, type sound, and this is the first time I think you really hear Hillman's bass uh, sticking out on Gilded Palace of Sin. It's a very strong bass line from Hillman on his own song uh, on Sin City. Uh, I mean, deeper in, Hot Burrito 1 and 2. We actually talked about Hot Burrito 1 uh, during the Elvis Costello Elvis Costello show. episode, I'm Your Toy. <laughs> I'm Your Toy. He gave it the much nicer name of I'm Your Toy uh, rather than Hot Burrito Number 1. But what a, what a sad, what a heart-wrenchingly aching vocal performance from Graham Parsons on Hot Burrito Number 1. Uh, the way he just complements those those chord changes with his vocal performance. Uh, it's a song that like Otis Redding could sing. There's so much soul to it in addition to being that country R&B kind of ballad. And that flows right into the last one I think I'll mention. I'll let you guys take the rest. But Hot Burrito Number 2 is one of my all-time favorite songs, period. I <laughs> you love better, it. You better love me, baby. Jesus, Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ, the way he sells that. It's got, the, you know, the piano's got somewhat of a, like a Todd Rundgren feel to it. Uh, just that desperate plead of, of Jesus Christ, as, as Jeff just talked about. Uh, and that play out, that fuzz guitar play out toward uh, after the last verse, after the last chorus, I should say. Uh, I just love Hot Burrito Number 2 so much. Yes, you love me and your soul.
front to back. There's, there's one bad track here. That's the very last one, Hippie Boy. I know Ben's <laughs> going to talk about it in a second, or at least explain why it's so bad. But uh, I just skip it. It's the last track. It's no big deal. Other than that, there is virtually nothing to criticize on the Gilded Palace of Sid. I think it's the point where all of Parsons' plans come together at, at, at their zenith. I'm going to let Ben go here, uh, but I just want to interject one thought, which is that on Sin City, the song... Sneaky Pete Kleinow deserves a Nobel Prize for physics for, <laughs> for every bizarre harmonic choice that he makes. And I don't even know how he moves his hands around the, the, the pedal steel uh, on that. It's just ridiculous, ridiculous performance. And it's unlike if you if you listen to enough country music, you recognize it's a traditional licks. There's a traditional approach. Right. What, what Kleinow does there is just bizarre. It's bizarre. I think he had some alternate tuning that he was working with that made it, you know, you know, the, the, the places that his hands would go to would be completely different than a standard country arrangement. My God, I love that song. This Sorry, Ben, go for it. Well, I mean, I think the entire thing is, this is as much, you know, in a lot of ways, an R&B album as a country album. Yeah. Oh. Especially when you're thinking about Hot Burrito Number 2 or the fact, you know, that the gun side one, that you have two R&B covers and two Right Woman and Dark End of the Street. That there's something, you know, really different going on, which sort of gets to, uh, I mean, almost gets to sort of the nudie suit that Parsons is wearing on the cover, which says it all, that it's, you know, the nudie suit, this old-fashioned, gaudy, country western outfit with marijuana leaves on it uh which sort of gets to uh gets to sort of the internal contradictions in the in the project entirely that he's doing um and it's i mean hot burrito number two i've put there's just you know that the hot burrito, the two hot burrito songs is strange the phrase it is to say the two hot burrito songs <laughs> all together is you know really you know really fine works but the way they're sort of jumping around Round that sort of, you know, my uncle is you know an anti-war bluegrass song, and but uh, and though what struck me with Sin City is that you know two of sort of Parsons' finest lyrical works are songs that he didn't really write himself in Sin City and The Return of the Grievous Angel. Right, those are both sort of these great narratives that probably don't work without Grant Parsons, and that even though he wrote some amazing lyrics, there's sort of ones that he only sort of filled in on rather than doing a. Uh, doing the full thing, but this, you know, grabs you just from the beginning riff in, in Christine's tune and straight through. I mean, there's really isn't enough that you can say good about this album. There, I can't overpraise it, 
But I think one thing I'd like to focus on are the cover songs on this. Because, uh, okay, this is an album of entirely original songs. Basically, it's Parsons and it's Hillman working together. And then for some reason, they do like these Memphis soul songs. They do Do Right Woman, and then they do The Dark End of the Street. Uh, when we did our covers episode, I uh, actually singled out um, the Richard and Linda Thompson version of Dark End of the Street is one of my favorite covers of all time. Uh, it was actually a very difficult choice when I was doing that back then to, you know, to say, well, okay, am I going to mention the, the, the Richard and Linda version or am I going to mention the Flying Burrito Brothers version? Because they're both just amazing. If you've ever heard the original version, you know, the old Percy Sledge one, I mean, it's, it's a different kind of a song. It's a sort of a slow, gritty soul song. And then with this country, uh, very kind of like agonized feeling uh i almost it does make me wish like emmy lou harris had been in the picture at this time because i can mm-hmm. only imagine what an emmy lou and graham version of it would have been um but uh it's just such a naturalistic country reworking of a soul song doesn't even feel like it's like you know a trick it kind of reminds me of like the great things that Al Green would do when he would cover other people's songs. Uh, he could do like the Bee Gees or the Doors or like, you know, uh, Willie Nelson for that matter. And he could make them sound just like beautiful R&B soul songs. Well, this is that in reverse. It's stealing that trick away in the other way. This is taking a soul song and making it sound like a perfect country song. other one i really have to praise is do right woman it's haunting the bass on that song is haunting chris etheridge never gets a lot of credit um but his bass on that song is a third voice it, it could be one of the most perfect covers ever and it is actually the one that i regret the most not mentioning on our episode of the show way back a couple years ago because that's country soul in every possible way you know, as for the rest of these songs, you know, the, the burritos, the burritos, you know, hot burrito, naming them hot burrito number one <laughs> and hot burrito. It's, it's such a disservice to these songs. That's why I really did appreciate Elvis Costello saying, screw it. I'm calling it. I'm your toy. I, I'm not going to put a song called hot burrito number one on my record. Um, <laughs> is it the greatest Graham Parsons self-written song ever? The chord changes on that? Uh, Again, another supernatural bass performance from Etheridge. I don't know. It's it's certainly up there. 
And the funny thing about Hippie Boy, which we mentioned briefly, it's the last song on the album. It's the it's it's a pretty self-conscious rewrite of an old Hank Williams Sr. song called The Stones That You Throw. If you it's on the basement tapes by you know Dylan. It's on uh, the staple singers have covered it. You can listen to Hank's version as well. It, it's one of these sort of talking country ballads where like you know, well, you know, we judged that woman wrongly. <laughs> she was a whore, we said, but then she saved a young child from being hit by a car at the cost of her life. You know that kind of a thing, kind of like a kind of seemingly semi hokey kind of a thing, but mm-hmm. also. I've always liked Dylan's version. Hippie Boy is Graham Parsons doing that. And it doesn't work nearly as well because Hippie Boy, you know, it's almost like he's making up the lyrics as he goes along. And it is just a long, talky mess. Beyond that one song, people, you got to own the Gilded Palace of Sin. This is just a shocker of a record. And it even has like shocking instrumental moments where like fuzz tone guitar just comes like screaming yeah. through the speakers, like on Hot Burrito Number Two or in, um, uh, on uh, Christine's tune. Uh, these, these like, these elements are being fused together absolutely successfully. Sweetheart of the Rodeo, when I first heard it, I thought to myself, well, this isn't what i was thinking i was going to expect when i heard country rock in my mind because this is more country than rock and it's a fantastic album but it really is more towards the sort of traditional country thing Uh, the gilded palace of sin on the other hand that's real country rock that is a real straight up 50 50 fusion meeting in the middle take on what this genre is supposed to be and just very, very quickly to add on, Dark End of the Street, I love, and especially the the end, the you and me, back and forth on the fade out. That's is particular the part where I, I'd love, I would have loved to have heard Emmylou Harris on on that, on Dark End of the Street, toward, toward that fade out. Very, very good. Um, so the very next year, and by the way, it's not as if this was, the, much like Sweetheart of the Rodeo, the Gilded Palace of Sin is only a, a classic uh, in, in, in years In retrospect. Right. It reached like number 164, which uh, I think was the highest of the Burrito and, and Graham Parsons solo album on the charts. These, these did not sell very well back then. Uh, one year later, Burrito Deluxe is uh, is is released, the second Flying Burrito Brothers album. They, they bring in Bernie uh, Ledden on guitar. Uh, the future eagle, and that means Chris Hillman is is playing mostly bass on this album. Uh, Parsons, by all accounts, is very removed from the making of this record for various reasons. Perhaps he's tiring of the band already. Perhaps he's just strung out and hanging out with Keith Richards for a time, um, or is just unavailable. And, and so his contributions are, in my mind, more slight. On Burrito Deluxe, uh, he contributes, uh, I think, two, uh, two, two solo rights and, and a few other co-rights. But the other, the other. It's also here. a weird semi-birds reunion, but no version of the birds that ever actually existed in real time because they get <laughs> Parsons and Hillman right. and uh, Michael Clark, yes. the birds drummer. Who was I? I think this is another problem with this album. Honestly, they used a bunch of session guys for the first record. Um, Michael Clark, of course, former member of the Birds. I think that he's he's not a fantastic drummer, in my opinion. And I think that, that the music sounds a lot more wooden yeah. in part because of his performance. And that yeah. rhythm section, uh, go ahead, Ben, I was just quickly, the rhythm section is far more prominent in a lot of these mixes, too. You hear a lot more of Clark's drums and, and Hillman's bass. But Ben, go ahead. 
Yeah, no, that, and um, in even I was saying that even what Graham Parsons is contributing, you know, Lazy Days, which started off as not being used on Sweetheart of the Rodeo, um, and then going down to a lot of to you know, it's a bunch of covers, and it's sort of not there's not sort of the content on on this that you got from Gilded Palette of Sin or other albums because it really is sort of uh, I mean, it could almost be in a lot of ways it feels more like a B sides album than an actual full record. The funny thing is they actually had a B-Sides album already in the can, which is Sleepless Nights, you know, which we may talk about later. They released after Graham died, um, which they did this thing where they were going to record for their uh, – I don't know if it was before Burrito Deluxe or if it was after it, but they were going to do like a bunch of just a straight Thank Hell you. for Leather Country covers album, which actually I think is better than this album. I, I really like their straight-up country songs. I like I hear Grant Parsons do Sing Me Back Home, which is you know another Merle Haggard classic that the Grateful Dead also spent a lot of time playing. Um, but on here, yeah, you're right. The uh, the original stuff is 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 lacking. Um, you know, older guys. That's a good song. That's a yeah, pretty interesting yeah. song. Good rock song. Cody, Cody, I also like those first two songs on the second half of it. But um, Lazy Days, the birds did it better. Yes, you know, far better. Far better, far better. And, like, you know, they do this kind of half-hearted cover of a Dylan song, If You Gotta Go, Go Now, um, which is hilarious because it was, like, one of those outtakes, you know, from the, the Bob it – it's on the bootleg series for Dylan's version from 65. But Fairport Convention, the other time these guys overlap, you know, Richard Thompson and all that, uh, sung it in French with – accordions and you know clinking glasses and made a more down-home authentic sounding version than you know the flying burritos did on this version of that song which stuns me because they sung it in french and it sounded more authentic (laughs) so the first part of this album is i think pretty dang flawed and it just obviously speaks to parsons disengagement his creative disengagement he was doing that thing where he's like he he had gotten his his fix you know he'd gotten his initial sort of heroin rush out of the thrill of a new band and a new idea and then he was already kind of just sort of mentally detaching himself from the whole thing but of course the one reason we really have to mention this is that it ends with uh, a pretty dang famous song uh one that i famously insulted uh, as, as strongly as I possibly could on our Rolling Stones episode <laughs> of the show. And that's Wild Horses. This is the first version of Wild Horses to be released. Wild Horses, of course, didn't come out in, um, you know, in the Stones version until uh, middle of 1971 on Sticky Fingers. And, uh, but they had recorded it as far back as 69. If anybody's ever seen the, uh, the, the, what's the, the Altamont documentary, for crying out loud. I can't even remember the name of it. Um, oh, Jimmy Shelter? Yeah, Gimme Shelter. If you go if you go watch Gimme Shelter, you see them recording Wild Horses and Brown Sugar while they're on tour in 69. Then meet Graham Parsons. 
Keith Richards gives away the song to him and the burritos do their version of it. And here's the hilarious thing. I've never in a million years liked the Rolling Stones version of that song. <laughs> I really love the Flying Burrito Brothers version of Wild Horses. It's so far superior in my mind. See, I like the Stones version better of Wild Horses. Uh, this one's fine. There's nothing totally wrong with it. I, I, there's a there's a very faint piano that's buried in the background that I might have liked to have seen it uh, brought a little more prominent in the mix on this Burritos version. But I I, I actually do like the Stones version better. Uh, well, you're wrong. I mean, just yeah. so you know, you're wrong. Uh, Echo Jeff had a lot of sediments on the album itself. Look, the Birds version of Lazy Days, which can be found on the Sweetheart uh, reissue, is far superior to this Burritos version. Uh, if you got to go, the Dylan uh, tune. Uh, it's a minute 49. It's not going to offend you, but it's kind of sloppy. I mean, it's just a very quick rush. It's a gallop to the uh, to the tune. Uh, older guys, and I think especially Cody Cody is pretty good. That's a Hillman Parsons co-write. Hillman ends up playing mandolin, I, be- I believe, on the track. And you mentioned it's kind of a pseudo-birds reunion. This is one of the more birdsy type songs, I think, in the in the burritos repertoire, Cody Cody. Right. And they pull it off pretty well. We've all been young. We've all been old. We've all been And I, I also give some um, love to Image of Me, which is the second tune on the album. I think it might be the best song on the first side of this album. Um, pedal steel and, and, and some fiddle uh, there as well on, on Image of Me. But, uh, but Parsons is largely unable to be found. At least, you know, his, his strong influence, the strong influence that pushed forward Sweetheart, the strong influence that pushed forward Gilded Palace of Sin is not here. It's much more of a band effort. Bernie Layden gets, uh, gets co-writes on a number of songs uh, on here. Hillman's doing a lot, of, a lot of heavy lifting here, and it's certainly not as strong. There's a tougher, there's a tougher sound to it, too, because I think the, 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 uh, uh, the bass and drums are higher in the mix, but I, I don't think it works clearly as well as, 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 uh, as Gilded Palace does. I think this the one song we haven't mentioned there is they do uh, the old standard further along, which is really... You know, an interesting song in light of everything. It's sort of just the, the idea that, you know, we're just drifting in the hands of fate, um, which is something that's a thread you see in uh, Parsons' work going back to Luxury Liner. 
and sort of not the type of uh, song yeah. itself very sincerely. But this is a guy who's 25 years old and doing, you know, a gospel, you know, doing a covering a gospel song about how everything will be better when we die. When death has come It's, it's 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 kind of sad, of course, when you know what happens at the end of the story here. But, you know, the other thing is that this is, for once, a band that Graham Parsons didn't quit. He got fired. Yes, yes. <laughs> this is like the, 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 the main creative engine, the, the, certainly at least the you know, one of the co-creative engines of your group, and you fire him. What does it take? What does it require for the Flying Burrito Brothers to actually say to Graham Parsons, "We're done with this. We can't. We can't deal with your nonsense anymore." Well, what it takes is a lot of really, really bad behavior on the road, in particular, where he was unreliable as a player. He was unreliable as a lead singer and basically as the front man, because you know Hillman has a really good harmony voice, but he doesn't have a really strong lead vocal. Uh, you know, he it's Graham. Parsons, who was like the real front and sort of the sort of the charismatic, you know, sexy guy. You know, again with the marijuana nudie suit and the pills on it. You know, like he was their front man and he was like basically being absent a wall for gigs. And so they just said, you know, screw it. As much as we'd like to keep you, we can't keep doing this if you're not even going to show up. So they canned him. They canned him and uh, his drug problems. He was always an, an, an adventurous person when it came to drug usage. Only got worse, yep. as you might imagine. And of course, you know the, the thing is, is that him having his trust fund and being a rich guy, a uh, rich kid, uh, probably didn't help at all because he didn't have to earn a living. He could always just go go to the bank, you know, do yeah. withdraw, you know, like ten thousand dollars and buy a ton of heroin <laughs> if he wanted to. It was. Yeah. It, yeah, and of course the drug problem got so bad is after they kicked him out, he gets you know, not sent away from the Rolling Stones because he's too yes. much about to be by West Yeah, and that's what 1971 is. Instead, he's kicked out of the Burrito Brothers, and he goes and spends this time in the south of France with the Rolling Stones in Villanelle Coat doing the Exile on Main Street. But they have to throw him out because he's too much of a junkie. Imagine being too much of a junkie for Keith Richards in the middle of doing Exile, which is like the height of of all of that stuff and you're still too much it's like how can you be that much of an absolute <laughs> depraved smack addict that you know the rolling stones and their producers can't hang with you that was what grant parsons was doing in 1971 it could have been the end for him might as well you would have just expected it this guy's on a downward spiral he's 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 fallen victim to his demons but that's not how that story turns out at all, because what he does eventually is he gets his act together, at least temporarily, and he goes in to record his first solo album. Uh, this is, I think, in uh, like 
73 late summer of 72 i think it's like september or august or september of 1972 and uh this is an album called gp and this is i think what cements the legend of grand parsons in so many people's minds uh particularly when you're suffering through you know all of this horrible drug addiction you know which you would think would take you out of things mentally and performatively he comes out with two albums in a row that are uh, just some of the most beautiful music that's ever been recorded. The first one of them is GP. What do you guys think of this? I mean, GP, to start off, it's a fantastic album. Part of it, you can you know tell the difference instrumentally that he now has James Burton playing guitar for him. Yes. And that you have an entirely new band, but it's, you know, looking through that it's sort of, you can tell, you know, not just sort of, you know, the, the last three songs on the, on the first side song for you streets of baltimore and she are just really wonderful but you also have any little virus bringing that in with stuff like we'll sleep out the ashes in the morning which hey ben, ben by the way ben as a fellow baltimore on i i know that you got to laugh the way i did at the lyric in in, in streets of baltimore where you know the girl thinks that the prettiest place yes. on earth is baltimore <laughs> at night what's funny about that it's factually correct <laughs> <laughs> Well, maybe not Charles Street. I don't know. <laughs> maybe at Fells Point. This sort of hillbilly ballad that he's, that he's doing with, with sincerity about you know, folks who've come up from, from Appalachia to Baltimore. Well, her heart was filled with gladness When she saw those city lights She said the prettiest place on earth Was Baltimore at A man feels proud to give his woman what she's longing for And I kind of like the streets of Baltimore I mean, the one thing that also uh, also struck me is doing this is, uh, you know, because he does a couple of sort of, you know, he does a George Jones cover, but that's all a talk. Um, but he does a Jay Giles band cover, which yeah. actually, like, I had never gotten back. I, I never cooked with me that song because it just sounded like a country song when he did it. And the how different that is, and I mean, infinitely superior, but how he turned, you know, what sort of a dopey, uh, a dopey, mildly uh, angry, uh, angry breakup song into, uh, you know, that sounds like. You know, weird, defined Jackson Brown beside into this sort of doo wop country thing. Which it is, is str- it's strange to think of Graham Parsons covering the same group that did, like, you know, My Angel's a Centerfold <laughs> Freeze Frame, right? But yeah, there you go. Much Jay Giles, man, one of those weird Boston groups that hung around for a very long time. Actually, the Graham Parsons cover of Centerfold, I bet, would be pretty good. <laughs> if only. Nah, 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 nah. That would actually, actually, you know what? No, imagine, imagine Andy Lohars doing the nah, 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 nah. nah. It would work. It would work. Um, so the GP to me is um, is a is an is, is an insanely comfortable album. It's like a warm sweater, and every time I put it on, I feel at home. Um, it's it's one I, I just lived through so much uh, when I when I first had it and played it over and over. And, and the second you know those opening. Uh, strains of still feeling blue come on i am i'm taken right where i need to be it's just a a a really well uh well put together album this is you know uh gp solo album after the burritos where 
again, I think I think I would say you know a slightly more pure country honky tonk, a little less R and B, but you're still you know you're still working on, the, on that cosmic American music uh, banner that sort of he created. Uh, still feeling blue. That very first song, as I said, from the first from the first notes, just like a nonstop rush from start to finish. It's so good. The banjo plucking. There's fiddle. You know, whiskey soaked Southern country song about absolute heartbreak. So who better to give it to you than Graham Parsons? And baby, since you walked out of my life, I've never felt so low. Can't help but wonder. My favorite song on the album might be She. And, oh, yeah. you know, the, 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 the ballads here, She and, oh, man, the new Soft Shoe, I love so much. Uh, you know, you come from Burrito Deluxe, where, to me, it sounds like they're trying to rock out a bit more. And then you come to GP, and there are these songs that are so delicate. Um, you know, a song for you, another slow one. That's like a, that's a Ryan Adams template. His whole career in three minutes, uh, a song for you. But she, okay, you, know, you know what I love about the song for you is that the organ on that song makes it rock and not just country, mm. and then the fiddle on that song makes it country and not just rock. <laughs> it is a perfect melding of those elements together. It's, it's that's what Graham Parsons did. That was his thing. Take me down to your dance floor. I won't mind people when they stand Paint a different color on your front door And tomorrow we will still be there Jesus built a ship to sing a song to It sails the river and it sails the tide And then you jump to She, which is just almost a straight R&B song. Yes. Yeah. That could just be like, you could just do have Al Green with the same instrumentation. You wouldn't bat an eye. The lyric on that is just so delicate. It's just like it's so haunting. You know, she's singing songs by the river, even when she knew she'd have to go away. Uh, and you just uh, again, this guy is a junkie. Graham Parsons is a junkie. He's, he's at, basically at the end of his rope, but he had just such soul. He, there's there's just such a powerful observational like ability. Yes, those that details behind that song. Hey. Used to walk singing songs by the river Even when she knew for sure she'd have to go away She 
about it for one single But you sure could sing yeah. Oh, you sure could sing She had faith, she had believing She led all the people together in singing And she prays every night to the Lord of love Singing Yeah, those the, you know the specific details in she and and in the new soft shoe, those vivid specific details of the lyrics really brings everything to life. Uh, we, we've mentioned Emmylou Harris. I, I think she is nowhere better than on "That's All It Took." Uh, oh, yeah. the George Jones too, and Emmylou just kills it here from the very first time she comes in on that song. She's a total force of nature. And is, is this is this her first like? You know, big move. Uh, is this the first time like the world heard Emmylou Harris? I believe so. Yeah, and because 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 it's all about her for these albums. She is Graham Parsons' equal, actually. Mm-hmm. She's one. Of, I will argue she's one of the most beautiful female country voices to ever sing since the seventies. Yeah, yeah. And those two covers will sweep out the ashes, and uh, that's all it took. They're not Graham Parsons' songs, but those two. Graham and Emmy Lou inhabit the duet so perfectly that they might as well be. Just hearing her voice, it's just this, it's this, you know, I'm gonna I'm gonna steal Bob Dylan's line. It's thin white mercury music. It's just this beautiful purity, the silver strand, the thread that runs through the way she sings on these songs, on this album, the next album. And of course she even takes it a much greater role on the next album. God, it is it, it's 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 haunting. It's haunting. It's like you you hear that you want to hear that voice in your sleep. I've tried so hard to let you go, but look, I still tremble at your name. That's all it took. That's all it took to make me. I'm happy But they read me like a book And when today I heard them say Your name, that's all it took Yeah, no, and it changes the song entirely When you go back, because the George Jones It's a duet with Gene Pitney yes. Which, you know, obviously sounds Absolutely nothing like Emmylou Little Harris but it changes the song so much from sort of a standard, you know, country sitting around, uh, sitting around being blue to something far more different and profound. And uh, yeah, New Soft Shoe is one of my favorites here. And very quickly, just one more note on Streets of Baltimore, which is a great song. Uh, you know, it's not an original, but I think that goes to sort of underline that, you know, Parsons, too, is a great interpreter. Uh, of of songs uh, of ones that that he chooses and he feels 
you know, you 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 feel the lines as he delivers them. Of, you know, the guy losing his wife to the bright lights in big city of Baltimore. It's a great story, but it hits home because of how Parsons interprets those lyrics and delivers them. Nowhere better than on streets of Baltimore. I mean, I literally the last thing I'm going to add before we move on uh, when it comes to GP is that uh, this is where that real fusion, this and of course Gilded Palace are where that the idea of fusing rock yeah. country soul really just comes into its own and it makes sense and, and of course for me at least that's that's no more obvious than on the last song which you know you might you could just you know not talk about but i really love big mouth blues all right the horns on this record are underrated they bring that sort of southern soul into the country rock big mouth blues could be something pedestrian but it's a truly fun rave up you have those goofy sax hogs that's the closest and this is a joke that i made to you guys before we did the show today i was like that's the closest that graham parsons ever got to actually recording a rolling stone <laughs> song which amusingly is because he recorded Wild Horses and that doesn't sound like a Rolling Stones song. Right. This does. This does sound like something that you could have heard on Exile on Main Street or Sticky Fingers. This is him like actually bringing that uh, that weird bizarre chaotic fusion into you know his world and into the music and it, it closes an album that I just you know the other funny thing about this this record, in fact, one of the funny things about going back through Parsons' discography in general is that you realize that it's basically the Elvis Costello underbook. Uh, that if you, you we did Elvis just a couple of episodes ago, and, and you look at all of his like you know covers and B sides and outtakes, like you know, half of the stuff on Almost Blue, that's Graham Parsons' material. Mm -hmm. like, half of the covers he's done, bizarre ones, Brand New Heartache, Sleepless Nights, um, you know, Tonight the Bottle Let Me Down. Yep. He got it from Parsons. Well, and then I and then I think that I, I didn't realize it until going through and prepping, but that's you know, probably half the reason why he asked the TCB band to play on. Uh, Absolutely, it yeah. is. And of course, the the, the the reason I mention all that is because one of my other favorite songs in this record is "How Much I've Lied," which is uh, the penultimate song on the record, where you know he says, you know, what what a what a great line, you know, says, "Please don't for, let please don't let me forget how much I lied." how much I've lied to you. Uh, it's almost as close as he came to something that feels confessional. Like, like I know I'm a flake. I know I, I've never quite been reliable or never been honest, but please understand that my heart is in the right place and I want you to hold me accountable for it. Please don't forget how much I've lied. What a beautiful song. Cause I've been living deep in sin. I've been living blind. And I don't know just what's right or wrong To take a chance on losing you What's such a silly thing to do The chance I might wake up and find you gone so blue, I Any brighter flame would be a lie Blue, so blue My love still burns for you But I know that I'll only make you cry And this is, you know, I would say this is his best album, solo album, except for the fact that, oh no, 
what does he do? He releases Grievous Angel next. And uh, I think I've come around. I've come a long way around on this. I used to think that GP was the better solo album of the two. Now I believe it's Grievous Angel. And uh, if you want to agree with me or disagree with me, feel free to. But I, I think we, we all agree this is a fantastic record. Yeah, I, I, I don't think, I mean, just going from going from the first song all the way through that it's just, I mean, there's so much there. I think you've mentioned, you know, sort of the stuff in A Thousand Dollar Wedding, which is, of course, a song about a funeral and uh, running through the Love Hurts with Emmy Lou, which is just fantastic. Um, I mean, the entire the entire album is just you know, well done. And, uh, you know, I, I still, I still like the medley live from Northern Quebec, probably more. It's good. It's good, but it does feel like they're trying to fill time. Like, yes. you know, like this is people who just fill in the, the, the biographical story. This is Graham Parsons at the end of his rope. I mean, he's, he's, he, the, the stories that apparently from the sessions are like, he was strung out on heroin. He had a horrible drinking problem as well. Imagine combining the two of those things together. Right. Um, and yet somehow he he got it together. And the thing is, is that you know he was running out of inspiration for songs. Um, the, the real crazy irony of Grievous Angel is that a lot of the Graham songs on this, the ones that he wrote, are older tunes. Mm-hmm. Uh, but you you listen to, you listen to these songs. And you read on Wikipedia that they are like old songs, like the burritos tried to record a thousand dollar wedding and did a bad version of it. And you're like, why was this left in the vault? This goes back to when he was at Harvard. Yeah, yeah, these songs are amazing. Brass buttons as old as like you know the the hills. These songs are amazing, and it's just it's just a shock that he's able to come out with them at this point. And I, I totally interrupted you, Ben. I'm sorry. Oh, no, I was, I was, I was just, I was just pointing, pointing that out in sort of brass buttons in and of itself, which is, you know, about his mother drinking himself to death. Yep. You know, Parsons is, of course, a second generation uh, addict. You know, that's the thing. Why, why did Parsons turn out to be the character that he was? Well, you know, his father commits suicide and his mother drinks himself to death. He's got money because he's got the family connections. He's got the, you know, the, the you know, you know, the, the the success that his his family had had earned in his behalf, but. uh it's really hard not to think about having that happen to your both of your parents and not maybe ending up the way that he did. Her words still dance inside my head. Her comb still lies beside my bed. And the sun comes up without her It just doesn't know she's gone Oh, but I remember everything she said Brass buttons Green silks And silver The other story, and again, I'm going to let you guys take this for the moment, is that to me this is this is almost as much like an Emmy Lou Harris triumph as it is a Graham Parsons triumph because her voice, again, this soaring angel that just covers all of these songs. Well, I think there is, but there's also, I mean, you can see a lot of sort of Graham Parsons 
persuasiveness a little bit that if you go back and you with I Can't Dance, which is a Tom T. Hall cover, that the Tom T. Hall cover is just sort of this awkward thing. I can't dance. I wish I could. I, you know, I'm bullied. Uh, the I Can't Dance, it's sort of this very sort of, you know, he's feigning that you can't dance. And it clearly comes across there. And it's sort of a very much, you know, he's almost uh, selling, selling his dancing partner and, you know, dancing, dancing with her uh, rather than sort of protestations. Right. Which, I mean, that's very much like where you can see the corner of what you have to imagine the Grant Parsons in, you know, in real life pitch was with a sort of, you know, sort of, you know, coy Southern things sort have of taken over and uh, how, how he's selling there. But, you know, just for a little bit, I'll dance with you when it sort of sounds intense. That's what I wanted to do the entire time. Well, I can't dance and I'm feeling so good. I guess I'll inherit Jeff's old position, which is I, I do like GP a little better than, than Grievous Angel, but we're splitting hairs here for the most part. You know, um, Grievous Angel, we haven't even talked about the first track yet, Return of the Grievous Angel, which... Is, Pick it for me, James! Yeah, it's somewhat of like this platonic ideal of, of almost what he was going for from the start. This, uh, you know, the story of a, of a guy coming home after uh, after leaving a girl behind to go experience life and then coming back and being on her doorstep and wanting to tell the stories of things he's seen and heard while away. Uh, you know, the truckers and the kickers and the cowboy angels. The lyrics here written by a Graham Parsons fan who somehow, I think, like, got him the lyrics at a bar is yeah. how the story goes. What a crazy story. And, this is like me walking up to Tom York. And yeah. saying, you know, I love your musical conceits, but you know what? I think I can do a little bit better with the words. <laughs> and, 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 and him saying, like, you know what? We're going to record that for our next album. And he did. <laughs> Yeah, no, and, and you know, obviously, that and obviously, what I just sort of realized picking for me, James, is the fact that he's you know having James Burden play a solo before going on to talk about Elvis as a junkie within you know half a minute later in the song. Yeah. I know. I mean, the, 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 the layers of irony. He's recording with Elvis Presley's band here, folks. Uh, the, the TCB band, Taking Care of Business band. He's got he's got James Burton, one of the f- greatest guitarists to ever hold. You know a the actual instrument in his hand. He's got Ronnie Tutt on drums. These guys are pros. It's like a dream come true because like Elvis's band was wasn't just like you know a, it's not a rock band. It's a it's a country band. You know like you know there's some flat picking here going on. Yep. And Burton is I, there's a there's another one I'm going to mention a little later uh, which is even more explicit in my mind and it's Elvis like like in joke references. Uh, but Burton is on fire on this record. And the melody on, you know, the 20,000 roads I went down, 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 they all led me straight home to you. It's just, it's just fantastic. The news I could bring, I met up with a king on his head and a penny crown. Talked about him, looking that old Bible built and lighted out for some desert town. Out with the truckers and the kickers and the cowboy angels. Good saloon in every single town. 
remembered something you once told me And I'll be damned if it did not come true talked about brass buttons which was a great just a meticulously crafted song heartbreaking and the sun comes up without her it just doesn't know she's gone uh the way the steel guitar sounds like it's weeping crying in brass buttons uh just amazing stuff uh later on you know in my hour of darkness the last song on his last album where at times he's essentially eulogizing himself if you, uh, you know, some say he was a star, but he was just a country boy. His simple yeah. songs confess and the music he had in him. So very few possess, you know, writing this, um, you know, this album was released uh, after he passed. It was originally supposed to be credited to Graham Parsons and Emmylou Harris and Graham Parsons wife didn't like that at all. So <laughs> yeah. that she was scrubbed from not just the uh, the credit, but also the cover. The cover is, you know, Graham Parsons kind of floating in this in this in this aqua blue sea almost. Uh, but yeah, in my hour of darkness, what a what a what a crazy way to end the album in that it's again, essentially sort of foretelling his future. Yeah, and the melody from that could have been could have, you know could have come from a gospel song. Yep. That it's the type of thing where it's sort of you know if you're not thinking about the lyrics, I mean this could be something that uh, that you know came down from a came down from a church someplace. In my hour of darkness, in my time of need, oh Lord, grant me vision. Oh Lord, grant me speed. Another young man safely strung his silver string guitar and he played to people everywhere some say he was a star but he was just a country boy his simple songs confessed and the music he had in him so very few Though with Emmy Lou, I feel like we got to get in Love Hurts, which is the two of them there, which is just probably, probably I, I would probably call you know the the pinnacle, the uh, you know those two partnership to there with how they do Love Hurts, which is yeah. classic, but just I love Hurts. I mean, you know, Ben, I'm gonna let if you, let you have the the spotlight here if you want to talk about it, but yeah, Love Hurts is just a, a cover. That is so beautiful that again, you know, I kick myself. It's funny how many times you end up kicking yourself when you go back and you revisit your your previous episodes of Political <laughs> Beats. Like half of the choices I didn't make should have been Graham Parsons songs. Love hurts in particular. Just she's an angel. Just hearing them sing "Love Hurts" at the end of that song. Uh, if your heart doesn't break, your heart was already broken already. That's just such a delicate and fantastic cover but i'm sorry ben you were saying i was just no i'm just i I think you stole all the words from that that it's just sort of such you know such a sort of delicately well done song with how the two of them sort of harmonize together 
And uh, of course, then that immediately goes into a song about being totally f***ed up, which is in Las Vegas. <laughs> <laughs> okay, actually, that's the thing I wanted to say about uh, this album, which is I just love Las Vegas. Oh, it- which is, which is let's not kid ourselves. It is totally just Viva Las Vegas rewritten. Yes. And oh, I, yes, I am it completely is. okay with this. Like he does it on purpose. You know why? Because he has James freaking Burton there playing with him. That's Elvis's guy. And he plays this incredibly white hot lead guitar on that song. The, you know what? James Burton has played on everything. Everything that's practically like played with everybody, played on a hundred historic records. This is the best guitar solo he ever played, in my opinion. It's on Las Vegas, and he's in on the joke. And you know why? He just doesn't care. He's having fun with it. <laughs> Listen to the way he spikes that guitar like a guy spiking a football in the end zone. It is so fun. Las Vegas ain't no place With a dealer trying to get ahead, spend all day at the holiday inn trying to get out of bed. But the spirit of the song from Viva Las Vegas is so different simply because Viva Las Vegas, you know, you could win, you could lose. Like, who Las Vegas is, I'm going to go to Vegas, I'm going to get hammered, I'm going to lose all my money, but that's what I'm going for. Right, exactly. <laughs> and, and, and everybody, everybody is in on the joke here. It's so good. It's, it's, it's the reality rather than the myth. But it's, you know, that's, that's sort of the type of thing where, uh, you know, that it's almost, you can almost see, uh, see what the everyday would have been, been like, you know. Only when I clean up my mind, I'll find out which is which. I mean, you know, the only, the only last thing I'll say about this is that, uh, you know, a $1,000 wedding, I, I, I sometimes waver. Is it brass buttons or is it $1,000 wedding that is, you know, the best Parsons song on this album and again both of these were old songs which is just bizarre and hilarious that he waited this long to release them um thousand dollar wedding i don't know there's that line where he says why didn't someone here just spike his drink why don't you just do him in in some old way you know it's supposed to be a funeral but it's been a bad bad day um if you can't listen to that and be moved by it I consider it kind of the platonic ideal of the perfect country ballad, and yet it's not—it's not like maudlin country. It's mm-hmm. just—it's—it's it's just what it is. It's moving music, and came out of nowhere. And in fact, it came out of his past. This is the song that I was right. mentioned earlier. It was recorded by the Burrito Brothers, and they did a like a, I've heard it. It's a very stiff, done work, you know. I think I blame I blame Clark. I don't know. It doesn't work, but this is just heartbreaking. The piano on this is in particular heartbreaking.
When he saw the traces Of old lies still on their faces So why don't someone here just Spike his drink Why don't you do him in Some old way Supposed to be a funeral It's been a bad, bad day Yeah, and it's, but it's a platonic the idea of the country ballad, but it's not, you know, it's not a, you know, necessarily linear song, but it's not really much. There's a little bit about getting drunk, but nothing about normal trains or prison. It's a narrative. It's like a weird picaresque. It's almost like all these weird people at this, this funeral wedding, whatever you want to call it. And you, you get all these people's stories and there's, 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 there's a lot of sadness, but there's that grim kind of gallows humor that goes on through it as well. That makes it really worthwhile. Yeah. Oh yeah, no, that's 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 the type of thing that it's sort of it's very much, you know, it's very much the type of thing that the lyrics are something that could be a Dylan song, uh, yeah. but done in this entirely different way. The way it, you know you shift perspective, uh, but obviously the instrumentation of it is is something very much a Parsons thing. Scott, and, well, I was going to actually ask you guys because uh, you know posthumously there are some. Uh, there's that that B-side, uh, you know, leftover release. There's some live things to discuss. I don't have a lot of thoughts about this, but I, I, I wonder if you guys do. I mean, okay, so like for those who don't understand, this is the moment where he he died. He overdosed, I think, in a hotel room in Joshua Tree National Park, <laughs> something like that. Uh, in 1973, the, the uh, Grievous Angel album came out posthumously. Um, and so what you do have is you have some archival releases that come after this. Uh, and you know what? I got to say, some of them are actually pretty damn worthwhile. I mean, we don't want to spend too much time talking about them. They weren't what he released during his life, and so maybe they don't have the same sort of legitimacy. But I really do think people have to go hear Sleepless Nights, which is like one-third Graham Parsons solo stuff that was outtakes from the Grievous Angel sessions, including Sleepless Nights, the title track, which was apparently supposed to be uh, the title of that album until Graham died and his wife intervened. Um, uh, and then the rest of it, like the, the other two thirds of it are, are flying burrito brothers, uh, outtakes from like, I think early 1970. And it's just them doing sort of, you know, covers of classic country songs. But I gotta tell you, man, this classic country songs are classics <laughs> for a reason. And Graham sings them with all the commitment that he was capable of bringing. They actually chose really well. Like there's a version, I think, of Sing Me Back Home. This is, as I mentioned it earlier in the show, like, you know, it's an old Merle Haggard prison ballad. You know, the guy walking down death row to the electric chair. And you know, when he asks, you know, the guy in the other, the other cell, hey, could you just sing me that old gospel tune that my mama used to sing for me one last time before I go i don't know i mean yeah this is maudlin that's maudlin country but i i gotta say i love it i got an appetite for that kind of stuff then i heard him tell the lord just before he reached my cell let my guitar play friend do my request won't you sing me back 
I don't I don't think their version of Honky Tonk Women by the Stones is much to, to <laughs> write home about. But uh, this is also the other funny thing about it is again you you realize how much Elvis Costello stole from Graham Parsons and the Burritos because like there are literally six songs on this album that he used in his own career. Brand New Heartache, Tonight the Bottle Let Me Down, Your Angel Steps Out of Heaven, Close Up the Honky Tonk, Sleepless Nights Together Again. He just could not obviously get enough of this record. And for that reason alone, if you want to, hey, if you want to understand Elvis, you better understand this record. And and a couple other tracks that I point out that are not Sleepless Nights. Uh one, uh, just be almost as much because of the story behind it is Drugstore Truck Driving Man. Yes, yeah. It was written with Roger McGuinn when he was still with the Birds, but it wasn't recorded by the Birds until he left. He he would play it live a couple times. Um, but yeah, big and important. Do you want to you go into the story, Ben? Explain it to people. So when the Birds were doing uh, – were- did Sweetheart the Rodeo. They were in Nashville. They did a gig on the Opry, which didn't go terribly well. Um, you know, Graham Parsons violated Opry rules by you know <laughs> doing Hickory Wind, I think, instead of a Merle Haggard cover. Something else Elvis stole from Graham Parsons. Do, not doing the song you were supposed to do. Not doing the song you were supposed to do and getting banned as a result. But they did. Uh, they uh, they ended up doing the big sort of all night uh, country DJ on WSM, Ralph Emery, and had uh, who was not particularly enamored of of these. Uh, you know, long-haired uh, hippies, even though they cut their hair for it, and uh, they ended up just, act, you know, writing a, you know, writing a song to take them down, uh, which was "Drugstore Truck Driving Man." You know, just sort of mocking, mocking this sort of, you know, all-night country DJ with, uh, you know. I mean, it's pretty brutal. I mean, they call him the head of the Ku Klux Klan. Okay, <laughs> it's, it's like they really let their vitriol loose. Yeah, yeah. When summer comes around, we'll be lucky if he's not in town. Exactly. It's a good song. It's a good. It's a good song on the Birds version, and and, and uh, you can hear Graham Parsons doing it. If you um, another album, another one of these sort of like posthumous albums. He there's a live album he did in 1973. Live 73 is what it's called. It's a very good song, and he just is kind of a very stripped down version of Drugstore Truck Driving Man. Kind of nails it in my opinion. Well, they don't like the young folks I know. Oh, yeah. I mean, the Live 73 is with Emmylou, and you can hear him do a couple of stuff. He does Six Days on the Road, which is the old trucker country song that does it as, you know, essentially a rock tune, which is which is great. And so it has a much harder edge versions of, you know, California Cotton Fields, uh, Buck Owens song, and sort of enough of, you know, that there's sort of enough of, you know, Buck Owens sort of influence, Bakersfield's had influence spoken through at times. But that's, that's something where he sort of uses it and goes a little more harder edged. How about you, Scott? You got any you got any weird ones, odd men out? You want to single out? Not uh, not particularly. The not ones that have not been mentioned by you guys. Uh, again, 
a lot of, you know, the, the circularness of this. You know, some of these songs I first heard from Elvis when, you know, going through Almost Blue, and now they're some they're on Sleepless Nights. They're, they're all over the place. But uh, one of the things that really did stick out so much by going through track by track, uh, an album by album, especially, I guess, so close to the Elvis Costello show we did, was, as you have mentioned multiple times, Jeff, how much he did take from, from him um, and a heck for a time, even the, the, the drugging perhaps too, but certainly yeah. musically, uh, both in choices and, and styles, uh, there's just so much being, being borrowed here and there from, from what Graham Parsons first laid down back during this time. I mean, here's the thing, you know, speaking to all the folks listening, you have to understand about Graham Parsons. He's Graham Parsons is the velvet underground of country music. You know, like nobody bought his albums. Right back when he was actually alive and making music, but everyone who did went went on found an old country band. <laughs> Wilco, Uncle Tupelo, Old 97s. Nobody, none of these people exist without Graham Parsons. He made this. He 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 had a mission and he would however crazy or bizarre or weirdly focused he was on it, he, he did it. He pulled it off. And what little recorded legacy he's left to us actually, you know, justifies how much he cared about it because it all stands up and uh that'll do our look through the career of graham parsons and the burritos of course too and at least one birds album and we come to the part of the show where all of us give you the uh, political beats listener uh the two albums from our artists that you must own and five songs from the career that you should hear and we turn it over to our guest first, political reporter Ben Jacobs on Twitter, at Ben C. Jacobs. Ben, your two albums and your five song choices, please. Um, well, the first one's easy. It's Gilded, Gilded Palace of Sin. Um, and I guess I'd go with Grievous Angel for the second one. And for songs, Hot Burritos 1 and 2, uh, Love Hurts, uh, Graham's Christian Life from uh, from Sweetheart of the Rodeo, and and just to mix it up a little bit uh, and make sure there's equal representation. How about older guys just to get a burrito deluxe uh, <laughs> deluxe, uh, deluxe there for uh, for a little bit of affirmative action there. Uh, all right, for my album choices, I think I probably telegraphed this pretty well. Gilded Palace of Sin and GP. Those are the two albums I think that that are, are truest, or at least the, the fullest visions, uh, manifestations of, of, the, of the Parsons vision when it comes to cosmic American music. From uh, the songs, uh, the, the Parsons vocal on You Don't Miss Your Water from Sweetheart of the Rodeo, um, I, I, Christine's tune, the way the Gilded, Gilded, Gilded Palace kicks off is just about a perfect burrito song. Uh, Christine's tune, Devil in Disguise. Uh, hot Burrito Number 2, again, one of my all-time favorites. Love, love, love Hot Burrito Number 2. You should definitely hear it. And don't, you know, don't mind the weird looks when you tell people that one of your favorite songs is Hot Burrito Number 2 by the Flying Burrito Brothers. Uh, they will give you odd looks. It's okay. Uh, she... Uh, from GP. Oh man, is that a great, great song? And then I think from uh, from Grievous Angel, the, the the title track, the Return of the Grievous Angel. Uh, those five give you a pretty good look at the Parsons' career, I think. Um, Jeff, to you. 
All right. Well, I'm, I'm going to have to agree with Ben and say that my two favorite ones, the only reason I wouldn't cite Sweetheart of the Rodeo, even though it was it's obviously important in his career, because it feels like it's a Birds album, too. And it belongs maybe to, to be discussed in the continuum of the Birds and, and not here on this episode. So I'm going to go with Gilded Palaces and by the Flying Burrito Brothers, of course. And then I'm going to go with Grievous Angel. And, you know, I, I, I would not have said that even you know, a week ago. When I, I first started talking about this on, on Twitter and going to revisit these albums, I would have said GP, but I don't know. Maybe I'm getting older. Maybe maybe I wish that I had only had a $1,000 wedding. How nice it would have been to only have to spend <laughs> $1,000 on my wedding. Gosh, that would be nice. But uh, <clears throat> I'm going to I'm gonna name my five songs. And, and, of course, I wrote down like eight, so I have to like do brutal editing on these things. I, I, I would have had You're Still On My Mind by The Birds, Graham's version. It's on the actual released album, but I'm going to just omit that because I'm going to go with just the stuff from his post-Birds career. And I'm going to say one of them, unexpectedly perhaps, is Do Right Woman. That incredible soul cover off of Gilded Palace of Sin. I just think that there's something about not only Graham's performance, but the bass line on that is just, uh, it's, uh, as I said, it's, uh, I feel like I'm being visited by a ghost on it. It just, I don't know how they managed to turn soul into country so perfectly, uh, except that I know because I, I, I listened long before I ever met the burritos, I was listening to Al Green turn country into soul. So if it goes one way, it clearly can go another. Uh, the second one I'll mention is hot burrito number one. Not number two. I'm going to mention I'm Your Toy. I'm Your Toy is just the, the, the chord progression on that song, you know, and uh, the vulnerability with which Parsons sings that song. Um, and then I think also the contribution that Hillman makes to it as well is just majestic. Third one will be She. I have to agree with you, Scott. Um, there's, there's something again ethereally beautiful about him mm -hmm. him singing about like that you know the, the girl the beautiful girl who sings songs down by the river and boy she sure can sing and so can graham my fourth will be a thousand dollar wedding i've talked about it enough already i don't really think i need to over explain it and then then my last one and i'm going to agree with ben and say love hurts that cover just you know, it's Graham Parsons and Amy Lou Harris singing together the sort of the, I, the perfect encapsulation of what made their collaboration near the end of his life absolutely stunning. That 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 beauty, the, the vulnerability, the fragility, the, the honest lived in feeling of that music is uh, it's it's it's. It's something that, that really kind of does you know, move you on an emotional level. Some fools think of happiness, blissfulness, togetherness. Some fools fool themselves, I guess, but they're Just a lie made to 
And there we go. The Political Beats look at the career of Graham Parsons. We thank our guests for this episode, Ben Jacobs. Find him on Twitter at Ben C. Jacobs. Ben, thanks for joining us. Thanks so much for having me. And uh, you can find him again on Twitter at Ben C. Jacobs. Uh, my tag team partner, Jeff Blair. Jeff, a fine one once again. I'm sorry. I'm leaving the show. I got a better offer from the birds. Ah, well, certainly, again, as I said, before this one comes out, you'll be gone. That much we know for sure. Uh, at Esoteric CD on Twitter. My name is Scott Bertram. Find me on Twitter at Scott Bertram. You can find the show there, too, at political underscore beats. Please subscribe to our feed. You'll get those new episodes right to you. iTunes, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, TuneIn. And you can go to nationalreview.com as well. Listen, enjoy, share, and leave reviews. This has been a presentation of National Review. This is Political Beats. Political Beats.